0: This is about committing to structural change and systemic change within whatever your realm is. doesn't matter what it is, there is equity work to be done there, whether it's the makeup of your workforce or the delivery of your services or how you make decisions about your programs. All of these contain opportunities to advance justice. Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. You just heard Darlene Flynn, Director of the Department of Race and Equity in Oakland, California, explain how governments and businesses can work to achieve racial equity across all facets of their organizations. Esri's David Gadsden investigates how modern tools like mapping and sophisticated analysis can empower organizations to see and dismantle systemic racism and promote equity.
1: Hello, Darlene, and welcome to the Esri and the Science Aware podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: You're the director of Oakland's Department of Race and Equity, which was the first department of its kind in the state of California. Can you tell us about the mission of the department and your role within it?
0: Well, the formal mission of the department is to work across the city through all the departments to infuse justice and fairness in all that we do. And that involves taking an um, equity-focused approach that um, aims to create a city where racial disparities have been eliminated and equity has been achieved. These kinds of disparities are very commonplace. They cross the country. So my role and the department's role is to keep this issue front and center and to provide the technical analysis and the cheerleading and the the advocacy, as well as the structure that is needed to challenge the way business is usually done so that we can find new and better ways of approaching our business, our lines of business, which are many in a city, in a way that create more equitable outcomes. The challenges that we face in Oakland are similar to the challenges around race and justice uh, that are very much up in the entire country right now.
1: Prior to joining uh, the city of Oakland, you were one of the architects of the city of Seattle's Race and Social Justice Initiative. What lessons did you learn building that process in Seattle that you were able to then apply in in Oakland?
0: Oh, so many lessons. I felt really lucky to be invited to come to Oakland to start over, basically, to start a program because this was a new program for the city of Oakland with all of the lessons that I had learned in Seattle. It's made things go much more quickly here, I think, because we got to practice in Seattle. We knew that we had to build on more than just an understanding of systemic and structural racism and the history of race in this country and the history of race relations and how it has in fact evolved over the years and what is left to be done in those areas we needed all of that information and we needed to share that broadly with people in the environment that we're going to be working on it so that's across city government basically and and but we also needed to think about what does it mean to launch a change initiative like this How do you change things? How do things change over time? And so we learned that we had to bring in information about change management and the levers of change and what causes change initiatives to succeed or to fail. And fortunately, over the last 20 or 30 years, a lot of study has gone on about systems change and system management and system understanding. So we were able to tap into that. So we have critical race theory, we have change management theory. And then we also have to look at what are the mechanisms of government that can help us build political will for change? And we have to juggle all these pieces. And I think that that work, a lot of that got worked out in Seattle. And we were able to come to Oakland and to launch a program here, already understanding that this is a complex undertaking. It's a long-term project. What we're really trying to do is transform a system. So that acknowledgement that this is change work, I think was critical and it took us a while to work out of the pure race focus and into some of these other technical areas.
1: One of the common critiques of our political system is the transactional nature tied to elections and the inability to take on long-term initiatives. How have you been able to, to change that paradigm to invest in something that's obviously going to take some time to work through?
0: Well, I I think that politics can make things happen, but then figuring out how to sustain that beyond one administration to the next administration and the next and the next is also part of the problem. So how you structure your initiative really matters. It needs to take that into consideration that you may have a champion and a mayor or a city council member in the case of Oakland, it was launched by a particular city council member who was the advocate and the champion for launching the Department of Race and Equity. And she's no longer a city council member. And so from the very beginning, we understood that we were doing this in a change environment and um, began immediately to build the infrastructure that sustains it through those changes. It doesn't mean that changes don't have an impact, but it means that there's a there there that is beyond just the good intentions of one political leader or another. Government is very structured. So we structure this work similarly. I am a big government person. I believe in government. I committed my my career to it a long, long time ago, even before I was doing equity work, I see that government is a very powerful place uh, to to, um, think about shaping our day-to-day experience because particularly municipal government has a lot to do with our day-to-day lives. So um, I'm a big believer in government, but that doesn't mean that government can't be improved and shouldn't be improved for the sake
1: of justice. How is it possible from from a government point of view to help empower those communities that are literally being sort of pushed out because of incoming wealth or uh, other sort of economic dynamics that are making it more difficult to afford to live in a given place?
0: So we have a lot of opportunity to to make a difference and that can come in a lot of forms. I mean, government spends tons of money on social services. Uh, We spend money on law enforcement. We have spend money even in support of education indirectly um, these are all areas that we could be doing more intentionally and with more of a, an empowerment model. And when we do equity work, we're very much aiming t- toward changing the, the way the table is set so that communities can exercise their power. Our communities of uh, Black, Indigenous, and people of color across the nation, they're not, dis- they're not unpowerful. They have been marginalized. So basically, our task is to stop marginalizing them.
1: What is the theory of change and how might it help us achieve better equity?
0: Well, the theory of change is that you start with the willing and you build out from there. You prepare the willing to be part of the change itself because um, real change comes from inside. It's a developmental model and it's just like trying to change an individual person. You can't actually change another person. Another person has to change themselves. So it is with institutions that institutions have to tool themselves up. So when we change as individuals, we probably have to learn some things if it's a big change about the change we're trying to make in ourselves. And then we have to start to practice different behaviors and then the change will follow. So we start with preparing our advocates with recruiting and preparing people to serve on work groups within each department and they find other people um, to involve in the conversation within their department and we build it out. And that's why it's a longer term process than a simple transaction, because we are basically organizing the critical mass that it takes for a change to happen within an organization. And people need to be prepared for a change. They need to get the tools that they need to make a change. They need a chance to adapt to the change, to adapt to the new way of thinking and new way of doing things. They need to be rewarded and uh, reminded about the change. Um, as uh, with some regularity, it has to be stewarded throughout the organization. That's why we use this franchise model across the city to uh, embed it in every department so that every department has its own conversation going underneath the umbrella of the citywide conversation so that we are all pulling together and together we'll uh, achieve this uh, critical mass, which gets us to the tipping point of change. So our theory of action plays to Getting to a tipping point of change sometime in the future. We don't know when it's going to happen, but we can think of many examples where this has been achieved. The civil rights movement achieved a tipping point of change and change followed. And I think right now we're in a national movement building time that may lead to another tipping point of change. But we can also do that locally within our own institutions.
1: Despite this being a very long-term process, are there moments that you can think of or examples where there was an immediate positive outcome of this process?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that we have a very structured approach that we take to look at an issue using what's often called a racial equity tool. I call it a um, more of a racial equity impact analysis, I think is a better way of Describing it because it's a little bit like an environmental impact analysis So people can grasp it a little bit where you're asking yourself the question uh, What will the impact of this action be? Uh, or maybe this menu of choices and actions Which ones are going to have which impacts on equity? Which ones are going to close disparities are most likely to work to close racial disparities that we're currently experiencing and which ones uh, could make it worse there's a point at which the thinking that is embedded in that worksheet, if you will, that guide is, um, can be internalized. And technically you don't even need it because it's kind of obvious once you get it. With enough time and practice, it is just the way you do things. It's the way you think about the world. It changes how you perceive the challenges that a city like Oakland has. And, and it, it, it will infuse itself into everything we do. And we teach people to do that. And in so doing it, they actually learn what the issues are because it requires that they engage the public. So the departments do more of the community engagement around this equity work. They have to in order to find the equitable outcomes. We must have the community at the table and um, helping us understand the problem more deeply and also helping us craft different kinds of solutions. What often happens in government is that somebody has a great idea and they want to launch this great idea. And of course, they're very hopeful that it will have positive impacts on the community and perhaps Even on marginalized communities, they're hoping to make things better, but there's no analysis behind it. We do the analysis first and then we decide what to do. We're actually going through a thought process that's completely different and that changes people. Eventually it will change the institution. And then meanwhile, we get some better products through that process. And those products become the excitement for the next one because it's actually a very positive experience to get to that point where the community is in a different relationship with the city where the outcome is something that the community appreciates rather than is damaged by or traumatized by. Success tends to feed success.
1: Would it be a fair analogy to like a construction project that you're required to do some type of environmental impact so that any city program you sort of take this lens of what would the impact be on racial equity in order to to move forward?
0: Yes, that's exactly how it works. And as a matter of fact, I mean, it's sort of funny because I use the environmental impact statement story to tell people how things change over time because I've been in city government long enough. When I first came on the scene was right about the time that environmental impact statements uh, started to be required on projects. And it was very disconcerting to city government. I can tell you that, that there were people running around kind of with their hair on fire saying things like, we will never build another thing again. Life as we know it is coming to an end. Nobody knows how to do this. There are no consultants to hire. They don't know how to do it either because this is a new thing and the world is coming to an end. I mean, it was really emotional for people <laughs> that are used to just, were used to just building whatever, wherever, in whatever way they chose. And that's what they were used to doing. And when they were asked to pivot, uh, the first reaction was the world is coming to an end. And a certain amount of that emotion comes up around this as well. And I just say, remember, or maybe you don't remember, but I can testify that there was a time when environmental impact statements were going to be the end of the world, but it did not stop progress at all. So I keep telling people, we'll get over this discomfort around doing racial impact analysis as well. It will become natural, normalized, and more consultants will be able to help us do it too, because it's true that we don't have... Very many consultants that actually know how to do this
1: work, but they'll come. Is the equity-focused paving plan in Oakland, is that one of those types of projects that was advised yeah. in that manner?
0: Yeah, it is. It's one of our earlier, um, really tangible uh, projects that is, um, has immediately had an impact on people's perception of their city government. It also, when it was rolled out in the beginning, got a, a bit of a, a negative reaction, a pushback From the folks who were accustomed to being first in line because what what the analysis tells you or what the analysis told the folks in transportation was that certain parts of the city had been disinvested and neglected and that in order to make up for that disadvantage they would have to be prioritized so um, there'd been a lot of road work that had been put off for a long long time but when we um the, the voters passed an initiative to fund infrastructure work in Oakland and so now we have some money to work with we had to decide how to spend it so we used an analytical approach about road condition and when's the last time a road was touched and you know what uh, what are the pro- what are the most important roads across the city and then what of those roads haven't been touched and that sort of thing and we have had people tell us that um, some of them in their 40s and 50s that for the first time of their in their life somebody did something to one of their streets that has a huge impact on people, both their day-to-day ability to use their streets without harming their vehicles or their bicycles, but also whether or not they feel like they're part of this city and the city cares about them.
1: So I imagine in so many cities, they're trying to determine how to get started. One mm-hmm. of the projects that, that I, I read about your work was in collaboration with the City University of New York, analyzing different indicators on equity. How did that work? What were the findings? Was that a useful endeavor?
0: That was a project that was outside funded. We applied for a grant, basically, to be part of a cohort of five cities. And we were selected. They wanted to to test and to launch about how to structure basically a dashboard of sort. They were calling them equality indicators. We call them equity indicators. So that was invented and designed by the City University of New York Rockefeller, funded five cities to participate in it. And Oakland was one of them. And so this is something that has been talked about for years in Seattle. All the years I was there, we were going to try and do some sort of an equity dashboard. And it has turned out to be a really powerful focal point for the city of Oakland. We use data all the time to determine what we need to be focusing on. So what this basically gave us was a tool, another tool for educating people about conditions in the in the city of Oakland that they might or might not be aware of, and also quantifying them in a way that they told a very powerful story. I think that this is really the kind of thing that cities or institutions need to, they need to have a mechanism for beginning to work with data in a different way. We chose indicators that are very important to the residents of the city of Oakland, and we talked with residents to determine what indicators they thought were important. So we shaped it around what the city's needs were, and our score was quite low. It was 33 out of 100, and, um, but not surprising. It certainly wasn't surprising. Uh, we didn't expect a high score because we already know about the disparities in Oakland. But now it's in a report, and, it, and other people can access it, and they can read what we wrote and what we looked at and why we looked at it. They can even access the data that's behind each of the 72 indicators, and it has served us very, very well.
1: What are you excited about going forward? What's on the horizon that that you're looking forward to working on?
0: Well, for a person who has kind of a 50 year look at this institutional equity work uh, in in city government, I am so excited to be catching this justice wave that is sweeping across the country. Um, Seattle was way ahead of its time 15 years ago and taking this on so overtly and intentionally. And um, it, was, it was great because we were able to, you know, be innovative and groundbreaking and create something that is re- replicatable and is being replicated across the country. But um, there is nothing like being on a wave of change like we're experiencing right now. Because what that means is that it's not just isolated to a few cities, although we're not so few anymore, but it is something that um, many, many institutions are needing to look at. You know, all of us doing that or many of us doing that, we create the current of change. And that's another way, a poetic way of talking about this critical mass forward momentum that is building in this country. So to be doing this work, having done this work for the last 15 years and now be doing it in this environment where it is really coming into its own across the country in a in a much more amplified way which it does periodically in this country. Anybody who's a student of history knows that these waves rise up periodically, and they will continue to do so until we get it right. To be doing it now is pretty exciting.
1: So grateful for your work. Last question. What guidance do you have for local government leaders that are just getting started? They know they need to bring about this change. What would you advise?
0: Well, first of all, is recognize that that's what you're doing. I think that oftentimes when jurisdictions or any organization, it could be private sector or nonprofit sector um, decides that they want to become more active around justice and equity, they don't recognize how deeply injustice and inequity is built into our systems. And they think of it as sort of an add-on, check the box kind of thing. We'll hire a consultant. They'll come and do some training and they will be good to go. You know, and it's just about committing to structural change and systemic change within whatever your realm is Doesn't matter what it is. There is equity work to be done there There is justice work that needs to be done there Whether it's the makeup of your workforce or the delivery of your services or how you make decisions about your programs all of these all of these activities contain opportunities to advance justice, but that is deep work. So Make a commitment, decide to spend some resources on it. Hire a um, a person to lead the work, if not as a a full-time permanent employee, as a long-term relationship with a highly qualified consultant. Do something of an investment in it because what we don't invest in, we don't value. So figure out what your investment in this is gonna be, both in time and expertise. and, And that will be a test as to whether or not you're ready to launch.
1: Darlene, this has been such an honor. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today.
0: It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. And thanks to Darlene Flynn for explaining how mapping and sophisticated analysis can help illuminate and end social
1: injustice. To learn more about how location intelligence drives digital transformation, visit esri.com forward slash DX.